Hello and welcome to the In Off The Bar podcast in affiliation with The Boot Room, that's tbrfootball.com. Thank you very much for tuning in, my name is Dan Atchell and I'm joined by fellow TBR football contributors Jack Katenge. Hiya. And Wes Smith. Hello. And we're going to be discussing the talking points from this weekend's action. Players that perform well, the players that perform not so well, transfers are much, much more. Um, and I think there's only one place to start off. Um, what a game at Norwich, where there was some good finishing, but some rank bad defending. Klopp's glasses got broken in the celebrations that took place after Delana's last gasp winner. Liverpool's win sees them sit in seventh, but of the worst goal difference in the top half. A defeat for Norwich sees them sit just two points off the relegation zone. How bad was that defending in that game? For I for what some people contest is the best league in the world. Yeah, best and most entertaining are two different things. It's definitely not the best league in the world by any means. But um, yeah, both teams just shocking defending. Um, Liverpool. I mean, that's now the eighth goal they've conceded from a corner this season, and I think that's the worst in the league, I believe, anyway. But um, you'd be surprised if. They don't strengthen in January. And you're talking about Klopp's glasses getting knocked off. It was by Benteke, who's been struggling for games recently. So I can't imagine that's going <laughs> to help him in any way, is it? But yeah, defending was awful. Attack and play wasn't... I mean, it was obviously great to watch, but yeah, just shocking. Absolutely shocking. How... What was Moreno thinking with two tackles in three seconds? Like Both of them were a penalty, but only one was given. But what, to me, that was just ridiculous defending. It just shows, like, as a fallback, you just, they need to strengthen well, all over the pitch, all over the defence. But as a fallback, he's just he hasn't got that defender defender's instinct. Like you know, um, you look at someone like Jose Enrique he could probably do the job there, but he hasn't got pace. So you know they stick Moreno in, but yeah, it was it was crazy. And to think. He held his hands up to say, I haven't touched him. <laughs> and with the replay show, he had two bites. Um, yeah, I mean, the the second one, <laughs> is it's not excusable. I mean, it's terrible defending. But the second one, you in a way, you understand he, what he's doing. He's quite close to the defender. He's trying to, you know, obviously stop Nathan's progress. But the first one, the, I mean, the first tackle is just horrendous. I've, I don't remember seeing a tackle in the box. Bearing in mind, he's diving in on the wrong side of the ball as well. Yeah. I don't remember seeing a tackle like that for quite some time. It was, um, yeah, just absolutely shocking. Absolutely shocking. Um, Roberto Firmino now has scored four goals in three games after one in his previous 24. Um, how impressive have you been with his recent form? Um, yeah, I think you know he's finally starting to adapt to the Premier League. Uh, I was watching the highlights and they they said he's starting to repay the 29 million that Liverpool spent on him. I think it's a bit too early to say that. Let's give him a couple more matches um, because you know he's chipping in with the goals. The game plays really well. He's chipped in with a few assists as well, and you know he scored against Arsenal, which is a that's a big game, and he scored against Norwich. Norwich are fighting. Um, to save their place in the Prem so it shows that he's consistent against the big teams and the lower teams and um, yeah, I think Liverpool fans will be happy they've been struggling for goals but you know here they have someone who's now firing on all cylinders Do you think Benteke will be have his nose a bit out because obviously Firmino's not really an out and out No he's striker. bought as a wide player I thought wasn't yeah, he yeah, I think that's where he Firmin- played most of his time Firmino's yeah. been leading the line how mm. What do you think Christian Benteke is thinking? Well, he obviously doesn't fit in with this system that Klopp's playing. I think Klopp said a couple of weeks ago that he needs to run more. Um, and we, we know that he's not that sort of player. Um, Liverpool don't always. Liverpool like to keep it to feet, they like to keep it quick. There's not always balls going to fly into the... He's not. Sorry, what I'm saying is he's not going to get the same service as he did when he was with Villa. So he needs to adapt his game if he wants to stay there. I mean, although you can see... Obviously, Klopp outlasting Benteke, so he needs to adapt. I think it's as simple as that, really. But you know, you know, it can be done if you take Olivier Giroud at Arsenal. Yeah, he's in the last two seasons. He's adapted these game. His movements a lot better now, and he's getting in with the goals. He's got eighteen in all competitions. I think Benteke, yeah, just needs to work hard in training and like look at the players, look at Giroud's movement, look at players like Drogba, big strong lads, good in the air, but their movement just you know one of the best in the world and that's why they you know, they were top strikers still scoring goals 
And oddly enough, I think Liverpool's other deficiencies, uh, particularly defensively, has probably taken some of the heat off him. And because Firmino, as you were saying, is now uh, is scoring some goals, the pressure in a way is slightly off him. And so he can use the training ground, use his substitute appearances and whatever to start to adapt his game. He, he's still got a huge amount of pressure because of the amount of money they spent on him. But it would be amplified, I think, if just goals was the main issue that Liverpool had. But obviously because they've got so many other defensive deficiencies, I think it's taken the pressure off him slightly. So do you think Benteke needs to adapt his game with more movement or do you think Liverpool have to adapt their game to him? Because obviously they've got Klein and Moreno who are both very attacking-minded fullbacks. Do you think they need to work on improving their service and getting more balls into the box or do you think, or is it a bit of both? Um, it's difficult because that he also seems to be the victim in a, in a way of a very muddled transfer policy. Um, there's a lot of teams that, I mean, I know it's easy to compare to probably Arsenal, I guess, because obviously Wenger's been there for so long. But there is a very definite way that Arsenal play their football. And that's been the same for the last 15, 20 years. And as I said, that's very easy because Wenger's been in charge for that long. But Liverpool always had a style. They had a way of playing. And so players were bought to fit that style. And no matter who the... the well, Swansea are a better example then of a continued change in manager, but the philosophy generally stays the same. So the players that they buy will generally fit into that way of playing. Whereas Liverpool, it just seems to be so muddled over the last three or four years. I mean, Rogers, even in Rogers' tenure, he had several different ways that he'd like to play. And so even some of his signings that would fit a certain style wouldn't fit another as soon as he decided to adapt it for the next season. So I think in a way, Benteke, as we said, I, th- I think he does need to adapt his game. I don't think it's the other way around. I think it's the individual that needs to do the work. But he does seem to be victim of a little bit muddle, uh, of a muddled transfer policy. Um, quickly, before we go on to Norwich, just where do you think Liverpool will finish this season? Well, they're sitting seventh place right now. That's Europa League. I think they'll take that, but <clears throat> I don't know. I think they, they've got big games ahead of them. Um, they need to get consistency. Uh, Klopp said in these uh, pre-match interview, like before uh, before they faced Stoke last night. Uh, he said enough was enough in terms of conceding goals from set pieces. He's had enough of it. I think the fans have had enough of it. But I think we'll continue to see that throughout the rest of the season. Liverpool's defence is very fragile. I think teams will, like more teams will expose them, as Norwich did. In terms of finishing place, I'd say they'll take a top half finish. I'd say seventh is where we'll, we'll likely see them come. Yeah, I, th- I th- uh, it's very difficult at this point because obviously you have such a huge amount of teams that have are very close together but I don't see any reason why they can't take fifth I don't think they'll finish any higher and in fact I think the teams that are in the top four now are probably going to be the ones that will stay there come the end of the season but they were better than United last week they they actually played very well and had things gone slightly differently for them they could have won that game quite easily so I and I don't think they're any worse of a team so yeah I don't see any reason why they can't take fifth I, don't, I think that's the ceiling for them this season yep uh, on to Norwich um Norwich have been one of the busiest clubs in the transfer window so far. They've signed four players. Uh, Stephen Naismith, who scored on his debut, very impressive. And they've got Tim Closer, who is on the bench at Evo Pinto, and Ben Godfrey from York City. Um, how impressive was Stephen Naismith on his debut? Yeah, I think it was really great. He, uh, worth the £7 million, you know, it's quite... You, you think it's quite a lot for a player of his age, but you know he's proven quality in the Premier League. He has European... Um, experience with Rangers as well uh, I think Norwich have a good player there he's not an out and out goal scorer but he will chip in with goals and he's hard working he'll chip in with assists uh, so yeah I think Alex Neil and the rest of the Norwich you know, City fans and club and chairman and you know, just the club in general will be quite happy with that it's a good signing I think what's good about Naismith I think he's not he doesn't hesitate to run behind the opposition mm. defence, does he? And I think that in itself, regardless of if, if he finishes, creates chances for other players to get in. So they've got a player with a lot of experience there. And I think, do you think they've got enough to stay up? Do you uh, think they'll give I, them that mm, opportunity to stay up? I'm not sure at this point. I think the difficulty, and I've seen quite a few people mention this, is that he's going from being a bit part, not a bit part player, slightly more than that at Everton, but he's certainly not the talisman. And Norwich will look to him for those um, those qualities and it's 
I don't know. I don't know whether he's going to provide, say, 10 goals by the end of the season because Norwich are certainly struggling for... I say that after they scored four against Liverpool, but they're not um, scoring goals with any consistency at the moment. So, And I don't know whether he is going to be the man to, to lead them to survival, if you like. So I, I think there's quite a few um, question marks remaining um, over Norwich at this point. Yep, uh, off to the Emirates where Arsenal have now gone nine hours and 32 minutes without a Premier League goal against Chelsea as they lost 1-0 to last season's champions. Chelsea have picked up 21% of their points this season against the Gunners. Per Matasaka saw red for bringing down Diego Costa and was the third sending off for Arsenal this season, all of which uh, have come against Chelsea. Uh, first of all, um, was this the Chelsea vote against Arsenal? To me, they looked like they defended pretty well. They created Diego Costa looked good going forward. Hazard made a cameo off the bench. He, he looked bright, brightest that I've seen him in a while. Yeah, um, as you said, they they defended very well. I thought Fabregas had his one of his better games that I've seen him play for quite some time. I, did, I, I mean, he he's been very off the boil for about a year now. Um, and as you said, Costa looked like the Costa of last season, or, or a. You know, maybe a slightly watered down version of that, but he looked a lot better. I think that's his sixth goal, sixth goal under uh, under Hiddink so far. So he looked a lot better, and and yeah, Chelsea as a unit looked far more um, uh, looked far better than they have done uh, over the previous couple of months. Um, was it a red card? Because yeah. Arsene Wenger suggested he didn't say it, he suggested that Diego Costa may have. Overreacted. He did go down like he'd been shot with a few rounds of an AK-47. But <laughs> if you, if you're Mertesack and you dive in like that last man, he wasn't even looking as you yeah. were attacking his red card, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely red card, definitely red card. Um, and that just calls into question Mertesacker as a player. I know I have quite a few Arsenal fans as friends, and after that game, a lot of them were just saying it's time for him to go. I mean, he hasn't got the legs for the Premier League. You see him at times, he's defending, he doesn't really head the ball for a guy who's really tall. Um, he doesn't really put his body on the line, unlike someone like John Terry does. Um, and it just kind of highlighted Arsenal's problem there with Murtisaka. If you get someone who's got quite a bit of pace on him, then yeah, they'll beat him any day of the week. And definitely was a red card, outstretched, cost off through on goal, goal scoring opportunity. You know, there's no, there's no arguments there from Wenger. I mean, that's just him backing these players, as he usually does. Mm. After that red card, he chose to take Olivier Giroud off for Gabriel. That was greeted with booze from the Arsenal fans. Obviously, they didn't agree with that decision. Would you have made the same decision, or would you have Joel Campbell, um, Theo Walcott, who was captain for the day? Uh, it's very difficult, isn't it? In that. I, it's, it's a very uh, you know a lose lose situation, um, and obviously Chelsea. Uh, I forget did the the um, substitution go before the goal or was it after? Because obviously the goal was very close to the sending off, I, wasn't it? I think it was. They before, made the substitution yeah. substitution before the goal. Before the goal. Yeah. So at that point, um, especially in a game that uh, Arsenal are going to have easier games than than Chelsea at home, and I, I think probably Wenger was looking at that point right. Let's solidify what we've got for a minute and just uh, yeah I, I think he was in a very lose-lose situation there um, but I mean going back to the red I, I saw lots of people saying well there's very little contact made by Mertesack and I think that's true but at that kind of pace I, I'm not saying Costa didn't make a huge amount of uh, it, it, was, it was a very dramatic fall but but if you dive in there you're you giving dive the in there. the opportunity yeah. to give you a and again it's not it's not all Mertesacker's fault you've got Bellerin who gets forward so often on that right-hand side. So there's so much space in behind him for Mertesacker to cover. And I think perhaps if the centre-backs were swapped and you had Koscielny on that side, Koscielny would be able to cover slightly, um, cover that ground obviously quicker than Mertesacker can. And Mertesacker would only have to um, make up for the space that um, either Gibbs or... Um, I'm forgetting the other left back now. Monreal. Thank you, Monreal. Um, would vacate on the left, and because Monreal especially isn't as attacking as Bellerin is. So, I don't know. I, I don't think it's all his fault. And I, I, especially with the form he's in, I would back Costa to score, regardless of whether Mertesacker got to him then at that point anyway. Through on goal, I'd back him to score. So, uh, it's a split-second decision. I, I, I feel a bit sorry for him for the way he's been sort of vilified in over the last um, couple of days. I think one of the things that... 
what surprised me was that he took Giroud off, who's obviously a good aerial threat. But for the rest, not the rest of the game, but a lot of the game, oh, with Theo Walker down the middle, Campbell and Ozil on the wings, they were putting in crosses. Yeah. Now, Theo Walker isn't <laughs> prolific, and he's definitely not prolific in the air. I just thought that was a weird tack. Obviously, I think Benga's thinking was to catch Chelsea on the counter attack with the pace of Walcott and Campbell, but mm. strange tactic to keep putting balls in the box. Yeah, that was, I mean, as you said, the trying to bring Chelsea on to you and then and counter with that pace. So, I, I, you know, you, you understand the logic, but yes, balls into the box when it's Walcott on the end of them is it was quite strange, and, and it was odd that they didn't adapt their game um, because of that. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's in a quite a difficult position regardless, Wenger. I think it's quite, a, obviously, an early red card changes all game plans doesn't it so I think he was in quite a difficult position there um, obviously there's a lot of discussion about who will replace Hiddink at the end of the season he's adamant that he's he's only here for the short term as interim manager who do you guys reckon will take over at um, the end of the season I, I, I think it's too hard to predict for Chelsea I, I do think they'll make a real goal for uh, Guardiola Diego Simeone uh you can't really say with Chelsea it's going to be a surprise to all of us I don't think anybody I don't think a lot of the managers in the world football really want to take the Chelsea job because there's so much more pressure on it now especially Mourinho coming back and getting fired for a second time like it's a sort of job where you take and if you don't do well well enough in the space of what a year, year and a half, then bang, you're gone. I mean, Angelotti, well, he was a popular choice. But it's also fair. It's well. also fair to say that actually, if you do well for a year, you get you know, so you get a trophy on your CV, you get a well-paid severance. Um, <laughs> so, so on the other side of things, it's obviously it is still Chelsea. They are still currently champions of England and a team that you back to go quite far in the Champions League every season maybe not next season but <laughs> so I think it, regardless of who is um, pulling the trigger and it's the same thing that people take the Leeds job all the time <laughs> you know, regardless of how many managers Chilino has gone through and regardless of how many managers that Abramovich has gone through it's still Chelsea Football Club there's still going to be people lining up for that job I mean the other the other rumour was that Pellegrini might go to Chelsea I mean Abramovich is a known admirer of Pellegrini so whether obviously it, the papers are full of Guardiola to City, so possibly. But I think it's, it, as Jack said, it's so difficult to predict right now who's going to be that manager at this point. One man that would definitely be manager of their club next season would be Claudio Ranieri. Leicester City's 3-0 win against Stokes or then move top and three points clear. Jamie Vardy was back on the score sheet again after not scoring in his previous seven matches. Uh, Ranieri's side has now won 20 of the last 32 Premier League matches. Uh, Stoke have now only won one of their previous five league games and have failed to score in back-to-back games for the first time this season. Claudio Ranieri said after the match that he doesn't know if they're a title contender. They're now three points clear with 15 games left. Surely they're a contender, aren't they? Yeah, they have to be in the conversation. I still think Arsenal and City have too much quality and I think a couple of injuries for Leicester will, um, will derail them quite badly, but yeah, of course they're contenders. We're into we're almost into February, and as you said, they're top of the league, so they they have to be considered. He, he's obviously trying to get them in a certain mindset that they're not, because if you start once you start overplaying things, I guess you can start believing your own hype. If you're Leicester, especially if you don't have the title credentials, say that that City and Arsenal have over the last couple of um, or the last last decade, then um, so yeah, so of course they're in the conversation. Um, how big was that for Jamie Vardy to get a goal after seven games of that one? Yeah, I think it's a big confidence booster for him. Uh, I know he's he's fighting to get on the plane to Euro 2016 to France. Um, and the form that he's had earlier on the season, Stoke scoring in 11 consecutive matches, uh, I think that's, you know, that's something that Hodgson was taking into consideration. And even now, coming back, Seven games about a goal, coming back and scoring a goal, is um is a big boost to the club itself. You know, having your top goal scorer back in the mix of things. You know, prior to not scoring, his gameplay was good. He was setting up goals. You know, doing what Jamie Vardy does, running around a lot. You know, putting defenses under pressure. Uh, but to finally put in a goal, 
uh, yeah, I think he'll be happy. He'll be happy with that, happy with his performance. And I think it's time we start taking him seriously as, you know, to say he's a shoo-in for Euro 2016 at this rate. Yeah, I mean, he took his goal brilliantly. It was, um, yeah, it, it was brilliant. I think he, he's been highlighted for his work rate, but Leicester are so relentless. They're just tireless workhorses all over the pitch there. I thought Kante was... Was brilliant on uh, on Saturday. I was about um, to say, drink water and Kante in that yeah, midfield have been phenomenal. They have, they? yeah. Especially, and a lot of the players are sort of cast off from bigger teams. You look at Drinkwater; he was never United. given his chance at United, and he's he's worked his way back um, to the Premier League with Leicester. And he and he, yeah, he was brilliant. I, Simpson as well, yeah. Hooth, yeah. yeah. You, you wonder whether obviously you know Hooth we've seen in the Premier League for a long time now, but Boston. you wonder whether someone like Drinkwater. You wonder whether he ever had the talent to be a Man United player. Um, I doubt he did. He's just he, he's working in. There are certain players that work brilliantly in certain circumstances, and, and Drinkwater, I think, is a classic example of that at the moment. Um, Stoke seem to be a bit hit or miss at the moment. They're either sensational, like they were last night against Liverpool in the um, Capital One Cup, or they seem to be off the ball, like they were against Leicester. But what what are they lacking? What's not going right for them? Um, that's quite difficult, really. I think the system they're playing is, is or the the front three then they're playing, um, isn't always going to provide. They're not always going to provide consistent goals, um, and I think they missed. Um, I think Shawcross missed the yeah, game at the weekend. Didn't he's, he's out injured for a he's, few weeks. Yeah, so that, that's obviously he has been their mainstay for in that defence for quite a long time. So you have different defensive partnerships that come into play there. They they just aren't consistent enough, and um, I can't really answer that, Dan. <laughs> I can't really answer why they're not. Um, Southampton recorded back-to-back wins at Old Trafford for the first time since 1969, with Charlie Austin scoring eight minutes into his debut. The United fans booed and jeered at half-time, full-time, and throughout the game, uh, they have now failed to score in the first half in their last 11 home games, and they recorded just one shot on target with a long-range effort that was straight up Forster. I've got a few stats here, guys, and I just want you to listen to this, and I'll, and I'll ask you uh, a question afterwards. There's quite a few remarkable stats. Uh, United have recorded their lowest ever tally of wins at this point in the Premier League season with 10. Their total of 12 goals at home is the second lowest in the top flight. No side has managed fewer shots on target at home this season than United's 35. Their eight games without scoring goal in is the, their highest in the Premier League era and their points tally at this stage of the season of 37 is their lowest in the Premier League era too. For one of the biggest clubs in the world, that's unacceptable, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't think we can say an awful lot that hasn't already been said about United. They are... Yeah, it, it, it's starting to turn quite toxic there and you can't see this. I, I mean, I, I certainly can't see any um, evidence of this Philosophy that is supposed to have um, taken place. They all just everything seems like it's been planned on a a whiteboard before the <laughs> game. It's like right in the sixty seventh minute, you need to run here, and it, it they're so regimented that actually when you see you see United kind of sneak out of that regimented fashion at times and start to put a bit of pace on it, start to enjoy their game <laughs> like the United of old before realizing oh, I'm going to get bit of a shellacking from <laughs> Van Hal after the game I better stick to my position again and yeah I, I, it's just it's not what you expect from a team with that kind of talent and the money that they've spent over the last couple of years I think if I'd said those stats a few months ago I'd probably be getting quite a lot of abuse on Twitter from United fans but I think they're at a point now where they are the ones using these stats as a way to get Van Hal out they, mm. they're obviously not happy would you be surprised to see him in the dugout at the start of next season, um, yeah, I'm very surprised. It's the rumor has it that he offered up his resi- resignation, but you know that was just rumor. But yeah, I, d- I don't, I don't think Van Hal can. But I don't think Van Hal being there for United, being there for another season with United, is gonna do do them any good. I think yeah, they need to get rid of him. It's just his philosophy of just. The static football really is pass, pass, pass. He, you know, he's dropped the pie. The pie hasn't featured for several games now. Always on the bench, and he's someone that has pace. That you know can be a bit creative 
or matter. You can just tell matter. You know, sit in the pocket, roam, get the ball, feed into your striker, have a pop, whatever. But yeah, if if Angel's still there, come you know this September, well this summer, I think a lot of United fans will be angry. Mm. Yeah. It'll be a, it'll be a big surprise. Big surprise. Yeah, there's a couple of um, sort of character concerns. I think is what's been spoken about about Depay, but you'd think they would have done their due diligence beforehand and, and worked out if he has any of these character concerns before, especially as it seemed to be going into the season that they were weighing on him quite heavily already to be that creative outlet because Mata doesn't always feature and especially not. They've had so many players in that 10 role um, and obviously Rooney does that role on quite a regular basis for United but they're just so isolated all the time. There's no... There's no one coming from midfield. There's no midfielder runners whatsoever. As Jack said, there's no pace out wide. There's no one for that creative hub to feed the ball to. So you're not going to create any chances if you if if you play to play in that stagnant way. I mean, I think in terms of in terms of the talent that they have available, as opposed to it's all the, the the ratio of talent to excitement. Then I think they're easily the most boring team I've ever seen. You've seen teams like Sunderland go away to places and not have a shot on target. But Sunderland are battling relegation. You you United. expect that. This is United. And the talent that they have, they should not be playing this kind of football. Not I mean, you know, not to my mind anyway. Um on to Southampton, the three games ago, um they were looking over their shoulders. Uh Cumin said they might be in a relegation battle if they don't watch themselves. Uh they've now won three games on the trot and have not conceded in those three games. And now they're up to uh eighth. Just shows how tight this Premier League season is. How far do you reckon they can go this season? Um, I, I think Southampton Saints fans will be happy with another Europa League finish. Uh, maybe try and improve on their Europa League campaign. Obviously, this year it didn't go too well. You know, dropped out as soon as you came in. Less said about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think Southampton. Yeah, they can fight for Europe. You know, fifth place might be a bit too much for them. But that middle table where you're fighting for Europa League is definitely what they should be looking the head to they've got a good squad uh, managers got them playing well again so I think it's ex- exciting times for the Saints yeah especially as now we're, I mean their goal difference plus 8 um, is better than teams around them apart from West Ham and we're now getting into the stage of the season where actually when things are as tight as they are goal difference is quite an important um, factor so they're looking quite good I, I still I disagree with you slightly, Dag, because I think the Europa League is a bit of a stretch for them right now. But they look very comfortable on Saturday. I mean, you brought up the stats obviously beforehand, and that has a large amount to do with United's um, failures. But Southampton looked so comfortable and arguably could have had a, a couple more. I mean, they could have had a penalty for the um, numerous shirt tugs on... Um, mm, yeah. I forget Van who Dijk. it was now. Van Dijk, was it? Smalling. On Sm- yeah, by Smalling. And uh, it, yeah, it was just all very comfortable and not the game that I think we were expecting. I think last season when we went there um, and Dusan Tadic scored the winner, I think that was a bit of a snatch and grab. It was back to the walls performance mm. a bit. But this one, we went there and, and, and dominated and think that's the most concern in trans- for the transition over the year under Van Gaal is that we went there this year and dominated for last season. It was them that dominated. So mm. be interesting to see um, how long Van Gaal stays there, whether he sees out his contract. Yeah, and just one final thing on Charlie Austin, really. Obviously, getting off the mark. Yeah, um, brilliant. Yeah, and and it, it was obviously a very small um, idea of what he was actually going to be. But he, the thing for United was that for the amount that they've supposedly done defensively, the drills that they've done defensively, he was wide open yeah. in the yeah. box. I mean, I think, that was. I think it was Paddy McNair that lost was it Paddy him. Paddy McNair lost him, and Free yeah, if you've been working on your defensive shape so much and forgetting the attacking stuff and then you can see the goal like that yeah you've got some problems there uh, Crystal Palace lost to a, a magnificent goal and an extremely magnificent goal at Selhurst Park Spurs pushed on their bid for Champions League qualification and are now five points ahead of United who are in fifth Jan Vertonghen's own goal was Palace's first goal in five games but the Spurs defender now has as many goals for Palace this season as Palace's strikers combined <laughs> Deli Alley discuss <coughs> yeah it, I mean, it, it was a wonderful goal, absolutely wonderful goal. And I think I've seen a lot of people saying we shouldn't hype players, we shouldn't compare them, but it's inevitable with the amount 
of really exciting attacking players that we actually have coming through. We tend to produce quite good defensive-minded players, but attacking players are few and far between. So it's inevitable that people will talk about Deli Alley or Ross Barkley in the same bracket as, say, a young Gascoigne. Now, that's of course it's premature, but it speaks to more the the lack of talent that we have in this country. Um, but he was he was superb, and I think to be running running games in the way he is in the way that I thought Christian Eriksen was going to be running games for Spurs on a more consistent basis is so impressive at his age. And obviously, as you, as you alluded to, the goal was just incredible. To keep his balance on the turn, yeah. um, not just the skill itself, but to keep his balance was was brilliant. I, bet, Ch- brilliant. I bet Chadley's a bit gutted because that was a <laughs> yeah. great goal. He's yeah, it was. It was. Um, I bet Pardew might be a bit miffed because they played pretty well to be fair to them and it was Lloris that kept them in the game and he's been his team had been outdone by a couple of you know excellent excellent finishes mm. they they looked a bit bit brighter yeah but I've uh, it's encouraging signs for Palace fans you know they prior to this game they hadn't scored in five or six matches um, yeah it was fitting but, that it came from an own goal as well yeah. there only <laughs> goal for six games <laughs> But um, you have to admit, players such, players such as um, Wilfred Zaha, he, he had a really good game. Yeah, he did, you know? yeah. He gave Danny Rolls lots of problems. Uh, Padre will be gutted, they'll be gutted, but it's encouraging signs. I mean, they're not in a bad place right now, Palace, they're 11th. I think if they carry on the way they they played against Spurs, if they take that into the next few games they have, I think they'll be fine, they'll get back to goal school goal scoring ways and winning ways um, but yeah I think you know they, they need a, a striker not not necessarily a top quality striker but they need a goal scoring striker someone like Jermaine Defoe at Sunderland you know he's in a team where they're not doing well but when he gets the opportunity bang it's yeah, in with Palace it just hasn't happened well they brought in Manuel Adebayor now that's a transfer that go one of two ways it's either going to be an inspired signing or he's not he's not going to be worth them bringing in it's free transfer obviously his wages be quite a bit but it's worth mm. a gamble wasn't it yeah I think if you're especially as I think Connor Wickham at the time of recording I don't know the outcome of his um, he's banned he, is, he has just yeah. taken the ban has he so they've obviously lost him for, for three games as well I, I guess and um, yeah with Adebayor it, it's always very difficult because you when he seems to be playing for a contract, or he has a short spell at a club, he's excellent. And so for that reason, I think it is a good signing. Especially as, I mean, he's released a couple of Instagram posts, hasn't he, lately, showing his exercise and whatever. So he looks in quite good shape. So I, I think it will probably be a good, quite a good signing. And, I mean, they were a bit unlucky. It happened after the goal, after, um, uh, sorry, before um, Deli Ali's goal. They hit the bar twice, and I think they were, it drew two excellent saves from Lloris in the space of about five minutes. And for, it, it's fitting they they're a team that have hit some bad luck lately, and that was shown by the the fact that on a different day that all those goals go in. Well, not all of them, but you know what I mean. Um, so I, I don't think it's too much to worry about for Palace. But the the, the, the big worry is that I think that Balassi. Because um, I think he had a, it was in a car accident, wasn't he lately? So I think he suffered whiplash from that. So I don't know. Pardew didn't give a, a time frame for his um, return, as far as I'm aware. But he has been a massive miss, and uh, for them, and that I think that's the main worry at the moment for Palace. Yep. Uh, West Ham now have 15 points from a possible 24 against last season's top six, after their two-all draw with Manchester City, and are now unbeaten in 10 games at Upton Park this season. Only Alan Shearer has reached 90 Premier League goals quicker than Sergio Aguero, who scored both goals for City and has now been involved in eight goals in his last eight appearances for the City, although his performance was overshadowed by some awful defending. Uh, Wes, how, if, you, if you want to win the league, you can't defend like that, can you? No. Um, I think... <sighs> I don't even know really know where to start on the whole defending issue. It was... One of the issues is we, we've got... We are constantly chopping and changing our back four, and I understand it. We've got a very grueling schedule over over the past couple of weeks and over the next next few weeks. But Dimichelis, he's been linked to a move back to Argentina for quite some time, and he seems to have checked out for the last six months. 
Um, having said that, I, I don't know if you're going to talk about whether it was a red card or not, but I don't think it was. I think Otamendi's coming around on the cover there. But they, the other thing is that they're so exposed all the time. And if you have, I mean, we chatted about Mertesacker earlier. Well, Dimichelis is of a similar pace. Yeah. He, you know, he's in that, that similar category to Mertesacker. And so you can't allow him to be as exposed as he was at times. And that speaks more to the selection, I think, in central midfield because uh, it, we, we, we just don't provide enough cover and we don't provide enough cover down the wings for our, for our full-backs as well. And don't get me wrong, I, I think it's... Pellegrini wants to always win the game and, that, and I completely agree with that philosophy. But I still think there needs to be a slight slightly more cover for that back four when we are missing company because obviously as the win percentages show we are a lot worse without him as you touched on there with obviously company's injuries fantastic defender but mm. one of the best in the league for a team that's looking to win the Premier League should they be missing company that much surely they for the money they spent on Manga- Mangala yeah. surely they should be better they shouldn't be reliant on company should they uh, no, no. It's more than it's obviously with company. It's more than simply defending. It's about the the leadership, and I do, I do think without him, the obviously the the defense lacks lack, does lack a leadership. Although I do think Joe Hart is is actually a, a, a far better leader than, than he's perhaps given credit for. But yeah, it, it's difficult because we've got two defenders who have come to the league in the last eighteen months. We spent a huge amount of money on them. Otamendi needs time to adapt to the league in the same way that Dimichelis did when he came across. Actually, people, everyone speaks about how um, how ropey he was and how um, mistake-riddled he was for quite some time. But actually, at the back end of the um, at the back end of the season, and uh, I think of 2014, 2015, over the course of about six or seven months, he was our best defender. And so I think Otamendi needs a little bit more time. He just sw- he switches off at times, and that was proven for the second West Ham goal. Um, and you, regardless of the money you've been spent, if you're a Premier League defender, you don't expect them to switch off that badly um, at that point in the game. It, it was one of the simplest goals I've ever seen. Well, I mean, call it, from a throw-in like that, it's not it's not acceptable to make at, those mistakes at any level. At any level, no. And and yeah, it, yeah. What about, what about your thoughts on Mangala? Because he's he's been here quite a while now, and he's what thirty yeah. million transfer fee. And Sanya said, "Give him time; yeah. know, he'll turn out to be a top class defender." What, what would you think about him? It, it's difficult because when he's up against people like Costa, he looks like one of the league's best defenders. If it's a big physical person, you know, Mangala is a, f- a big guy. He's a big. He's quick as well. So when we played Leicester, for instance, he had a, he had quite a good game up against Jamie Vardy because Leicester were looking to play the ball in behind, so Mangala could use his pace to come across and cover. His footwork is terrible. His footwork is atrocious. The own goal that he scored, I think it was against... No, hang on, who are we playing now? No, Liverpool, sorry, a couple of months ago, was appalling and very indicative of, of how he is He is quite a lot of the time. But I do think some of the criticism has been unfair because he has been very good at times. Um, it's just... I think he was just the wrong player for us. And as much as, as I said, he, if it's somebody who's going to look running behind him or Costa who's going to try and bully him he's actually excellent against those kinds of strikers it's the small strikers that look for the ball into their feet and that he he really struggles with because he has he there's a very he, he's in close contact situations and then he starts to struggle but i do think some of the criticism has been unfair and i think it's more of a problem with the defensive system and the cover that that, that is provided for them rather than specifically individual issues um, in terms of West Ham, Dimitri Payet was sensational against uh, Man City, probably one of the players of the weekend. Um, so, signing of the season? Probably, he had a cracking free kick. Mm. Took an re- excellent save from Joe Hart. Um, and to think, this player, he, he rejected Champions League football. He could have been well, he could have been with Marseille now and playing European football. But um, he's come to London, East London, West Ham... And he's just showed his his worth, his value, his you know quality. Signing of the season, I think, yeah, less than twenty million, around like uh, eleven or ten. Uh, ten point seven. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in ter- terms of value for money, yeah. I think he's got to be in that that category. Um, he, I don't want to 
I, I don't I don't want to be rude about West Ham, but I think judging by how well he's done, and that's easy to say now, but judging by how well he's done, it's it's surprising. I think in many ways that he's there, but it also speaks to West Ham's ambition that they went out and got someone like him, um, and shows the way that Bilic wants to play. Um, so yeah, he, uh, he's been great for them, and he, he, some of the his technical ability is up there with some of the best. And we've spoken about Mares as having the ability to play quite easily in a top four club, and and Payet's exactly the same. Yep, uh, on to Goodison Park where Francesco Gridolin won his first match in charge of Swansea as the Welsh side recorded their first league win against Everton at their 22nd attempt. Since August 2013, Tim Howard has given away five Premier League penalties, at least three more than any other keeper. Goals from Sigurdsson, IU, aided by John Stones, were enough to see off an Everton side who defended very poorly uh, yet again. Um... How big of a win was this for Swansea, especially in Gwydalyn's first first game? Oh, massive. Absolutely massive. And equally, it was a very bad loss for Everton. Yeah. I mean, they're... Stepping to 12 now. They are. And again, it's the inconsistency of Martinez's sides. The uh, uh, Lukaku has not carried them, but certainly has been hugely influential over a lot of their season. And when he start he starts to struggle, you don't see other play- players stepping up in the same way. And yeah, I, I the goals were I think both you could chalk up to John mistakes Stone. from John Stones. And I saw um, there's again there's been pits in the paper about what a huge mistake it was. The thing is he's 21 years old, and as much as he's a, I mean he's a very confident defender, but he's still a very young defender. These mistakes are bound to happen. And they just—they're not. Cause I love watching Everton. I think they're a great side to watch, but they just—they—they they lack that consistency. And um, yeah, Martinez has got to got to fix that because otherwise, you got to start looking at them as pretty big underachievers this mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned John Stones there. He's had a few near misses with his confidence mm. on the ball recently. If he is this the ball playing defender that everyone wants England to have he has to make these mistakes really doesn't he to realise that he can when to be confident on the ball and when to just play a long ball yeah he he needs to know that he is fallible and Sunes made a point after the game Um, he was was making a comparison to Alan Hansen and he was saying that Hansen had all the same qualities on the ball but he learnt very quickly that there are times when you just need to boot it into Rose Ed and Stones, as you said, has shown an awful lot of confidence on the ball lately in some pretty risky situations and it has got out of it on 90% of, of the time. But th- this was the time that it didn't work and he paid the price for it. I felt a bit sorry for Gerard Delafeu. He was man the match on the losing side. He, he caused Swansea so many problems during that game. Hmm. That so many... Crosses that we spoke about Lukaku being a huge player for Everton this season, and he could have got on the end of three, four, five very good crosses from Delafoe's great talent, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. For you know, product of La Masia, La Masia Academy, um, didn't really have his chance at Barca with all the superstars they have in their team, and he's come back for his second spell here. Uh, you, you look at the way he plays you look at the creativity he brings the injection of pace uh, and he's the type of player that you think oh, why did Man United not go for him Everton got him at 4 million yeah. you know, Man United got a similar player in Depay at 31 million and you know you see the comparison between the two players and you just think wow you know, Everton's got a bargain there uh, yeah he, he did really well over the weekend but as Wes said, like if Lukaku starts to become a bit flaky, then no, you know, nobody else is there to take the pressure off him. You know, Barkley, you know, didn't really have that much of a good game. Kone, he's not really, he's not the best striker in the world. And, you know, he's had a slight purple patch, but he's prone to fall off. Morales is come kind of coming back in there, but even the, this season he hasn't really been given the opportunity. It's where you're thinking maybe Everton needs to invest in another striker to help out Lukaku when you know he's going downhill. Like 
But I think Tottenham probably have the same problem. If Kane doesn't start, stop scoring or he becomes injured or something, like what, who do they get to look to? Who's going to say, yeah. And also, it, it's sort of a, a question of experience as well. You look at that attacking um, that attacking unit and, I mean, Delafoe's only 21, Lukaku's not much older and Barkley the same. So, and as I spoke about with Stones, with youth comes inconsistency and it's it, that's one of the main problems for Everton that is, as an attacking unit, if you're relying on three players who are under the age of 20, 23 or you know, 22, you're going to have those games where they fail to create and unfortunately... Everton, with the exception of Delaferro, had a, had a game where that young unit sort of um, all failed to um, find a consistency for the game, and that's that's obviously their their issue at the moment. Uh, quickly on the last three games, Watford recorded their third win this season against Newcastle when they beat Newcastle 2-1 at Vicarage Road. Igalo scored his 14th of the season and helped Watford to their first league win since December the 20th against Liverpool. Uh, Newcastle remain in the bottom three and are now without an away win since the 13th of December when they won at Spurs. Um, we spoke last week about how against Swansea, Dini and Nagalo didn't really look the Dini and Nagalo that we, we've known for so much of this season. How how impressed have you been this season with with those who they look back to their best at the weekend? Mm, and certainly for Nagalo making that step up and, as you said, scoring 14 goals this season. He's actually he's a lot older than I thought he was. <laughs> I thought he was sort of in his earlier 20s. I didn't realise he was 28, I think he is now. But Yeah, and Dini, to, to show the intelligence that he has this year um, and make that almost... I, he struggled for goals at the start... Yeah. But to make that sort of almost seamless transition into Premier League life, I think is very impressive. And um, yeah, as a, as a team, they're they're linking up brilliantly. Uh, Van Anholt's goal for Sunderland made him the first defender for the club to score back-to-back goals in the Premier League when they drew one all with Bournemouth. New signing Ben Kafobi got his second goal in Bournemouth colours, but considering their first half dominance, uh, they'll be disappointed not to leave uh, the stadium light with all three points, wouldn't they? Yeah, I think they've. They'll be kicking themselves in the foot. That's a missed opportunity for three points, and to edge them a bit closer away from the relegation zone. That that first half, they absolutely dominated Sunderland. They should have been at least four 0 up. They had a really good chance when Afobe could have played the ball to Stanislas in the box, but he opted to shoot. Um, so yeah, I think I think they'll be quite upset. But a point isn't a bad result, you know. Sunderland came back, Van Holten. Uh, he's bombing left back, really ferocious left foot, and you know, fair play to them for fighting back and you know, getting something out of yeah, getting something out of the game. Um, there's another injury blow for Bournemouth. A, a late lunge by Billy Jones saw Junior Stanislas uh, suffer what looks like quite a bad injury. Um, how well could Bournemouth? How well could Bournemouth have done if they'd had a fully team and especially Stanislas because recently he's been on one of their best players. Yeah, I mean, well, it's so difficult to predict, isn't it? But you'd imagine that they would have a few more points to their name than uh, than they do. I think the issue for them now is that the teams around them are looking or have either spent in Norwich's case or looking to spend uh, quite a lot of money in this window and I think that's going to be the issue for them now. You come into quite a gruelling well, they've got through the gruelling Christmas period, but then it's as injuries start mounting up. If other, if other teams are, are freshening up their sides, you've got to worry for them slightly. And I know this is off the back of the, the praise we gave them last week um, for the job that, that Eddie Howe has done and they've done collectively. But with other teams spending, you've got to worry about how um, how threadbare their, their squad is at the moment. And especially, you mentioned Stanislas, he's been quite an important um, player for them, certainly over the last couple of months. Um, so that will be a worry for them. Yeah, uh, it was great to see Ben Foster um, back in action. He made his first Premier League appearance in 10 months after a cruciate ligament injury in the derby between West Brom and Aston Villa. Villa picked up another crucial point whilst West Brom sit in 13th place and have only won three of their last 13 league matches. Villa picked up another big point, but too little, too late? Um, it kind of looks that way. Looks that way. I mean, they're sitting last with 13 points. Uh, you know, it take quite a miracle for them to fight, you know, fight relegation. But you must say improved performances from Remy Garth's team, you know, they're more relaxed on the ball, uh, making chances, 
they had several chances on Foster's goal. So, you know, for Villa fans, I think a lot of them realise that, yeah, Championship football's next season, but at least they're going down fighting, you know, showing good team spirit and good performances. But, yeah, you kind of, if you're a Villa fan, you kind of hope it would happen way back in August. Well, August, September, start of the season. Hmm. I mentioned there that uh, West Brom are in 13th, they're actually in 14th. They've kind of <laughs> dropped off a bit recently. Well, they haven't really achieved much yeah. this season. They've, I, obviously, they, they look comfortable. I don't think they're going to go down. Then, but what, what what is going on? Yeah, they haven't seemed to have kicked on at all. And you, you'd expect... Um, uh, Pulis as a manager, I think we, we know now, has a has a ceiling. But he has a very big impact on teams when he when he first goes in there, and obviously he's been there a little while now. But um, he doesn't; they don't seem to have had that um, resurgence that you'd expect from from a Tony Pulis team, and they don't seem to battle as as well as a, as, as a unit than that you, you'd expect. Obviously, there are exceptions. I mean, they got a great; they win at Chelsea or they drew at Chelsea, didn't mm-hmm. they? Um, but yeah. It, it, they just we we spoke before the show about the confusion up front and the the amount they're they're swapping Chopping around they're, they're dropping and changing they're they're attacking um, they're attacking players and I, I don't know I think I think he's just looking for his best eleven at the wrong time in the season in a way um, but yeah yeah a little bit of a worry for them the the run they're on um, that's the Premier League then uh, we're gonna go on now to transfers um, and some of the paper talk that's going on some of the ones that are looking a bit. Uh, close to being uh, deals that have been done. Um, we start with the London Evening Standard, as uh, one of many uh, papers reporting that Chelsea is set to sign uh, Pato on a six-month loan deal with an option of making the move permanent in the summer. Good signing. Uh, <laughs> Alexander Pato, where to start? He came to Europe at the age of what, 18, labelled a wonder kid for AC Milan, had a Fairly decent debut season, you know. A few seasons after that, he did pretty all right. You know, but his his career got hampered by injuries, and it's you know it's kind of been the story of his career ever since. Uh, for Chelsea, I think it's just it it's, it's a cover insurance. Let's say Costa gets injured or his form drops again. Can't rely on Falcao at the moment. Can yeah, he? he can't rely on Falcao. Well, I think Falcao's back in Monaco now. Is it? Oh yeah, well, he's certainly very close. To, if he's, if he's already gone, yeah. he's certainly very close to it. And then uh, Laurent Remy isn't really. I, don't, I think they don't have enough faith in him. He's a proven goal scorer mm. in the Premier League. I don't know why they don't play him as often. But yeah, for Chelsea, it's just cover insurance. I mean, I don't. I don't see them making that permanent at the end of the season unless he comes and scores fifteen or goals. Um, yeah, it's, it, yeah. It, it's just. I think it's another case of a sort of false dawn in his injury ravaged career I think we say it every time he moves anywhere else you always think oh Alexander Pato that's probably quite a good signing for someone and then you actually think and then the following season when he's missed most of it through injury it's on to another club and I think it's an odd move in many ways Chelsea aren't exactly scratching around for money so the loan deal seems very very odd Um, but yeah I I don't think it's going to make much of an impact there uh, Sky in Germany are telling uh, Sky Sports in England that they are aware of an offer that has been made by Liverpool for Joel Matip, who plays for Schalke. Um, he, the defender is out of contract at the end of the season and apparently he said that he wants to leave. Good signing considering uh, Liverpool's defensive uh, problems at the moment. Yeah, I've, I've seen him play a couple of times. He's a solid defender, got good height, you know, good pace, strong on the ball. Will he improve Liverpool's defence? It's another question, but at least he's someone there. I, I think they might get Liverpool might do a major revamp over the summer. Like players like Torre, you probably expect to be leaving. Uh, Stephen Corker will go back to. Uh, Where will he go next? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He will leave. His loan will terminate. So yeah, if, for Liverpool, that's a decent sign. If they do get him, free transfer as well. That pay his wages. Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, it's definitely. I don't. I don't think Liverpool expected at this point in his career to be relying on Colo Torre to sort of prop up their defence. I, I, as much as I like Colo Torre, I don't think they were quite expecting that, and th- they just need someone who's going to 
consistently play alongside probably Skirtle, I'm yeah. guessing, but because Lovren just he's not cut it since he's been there at all. And Klopp knows the guy, you know, he's been yeah, exactly. He's studied the German, German, German league, league, so he knows, yeah. yeah, he knows exactly all about him. Um, Newcastle are reportedly very close to signing Andros Townsend for a fee reportedly in between 12 and 40 million. Um, good signing for for um, Newcastle, yeah, obviously, and for Townsend, yeah. Um, face didn't fit at Spurs after the incident with the physio, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so he made three appearances, this yeah, season. and he. He has a little bit of a reputation of being someone that is better in an England shirt than he is at, at club level. Hmm. Um, and I think the worry for Newcastle is that they still haven't addressed the defensive worries that they have. Um, they are still so, so um, bare at the back. And But no, and, and again, it's about how you... They've got so many different players that have come in, um, attacking players that have come in over the last six months, and it's about how you start to blend them, because yeah. presumably... Townsend will start, so I think it's a good move for both. It's just about how they're going to blend him, I think. Um, according to the Daily Mail, still on Newcastle, um, apparently they've been told that it will cost £12 million to uh, sign Loic Remy. Um, it's 29 now. Do you think £12 million is a lot for a player? Obviously, he, he's been there on, on loan before and he's scored a couple of goals. Do you think he'll make the move? Um, I like... Newcastle fans would like to think so. I I I hope so. You know, I think if he does go, he'll get playing time. Uh, he'll probably start up front, maybe in the four four two with Mick, Mitrovic. Mitrovic, yeah. Um, yeah, he's proven Premier League quality. Uh, I think Newcastle will like that. They know what they're gonna get with him. He's been there, done that. Uh, Twelve million for twenty nine year old is is yeah, it's quite it's quite a lot, but yeah. Nowadays, football. You yeah, I mean, it's probably par for the it's, yeah, it's probably yeah. par for the course at this point. I mean, it lost bit, he hasn't scored a huge amount of goals for Chelsea, but a lot of them has been as a lot have have been as very late substitute appearances, and before that, he was um, obviously uh, scored a lot of goals in the Premier League, so or scored a, quite a decent amount in the Premier League. So, yeah, I I don't know. I question whether that one will happen, but he came off the bench good against Arsenal. We had a couple of chances, and he just. Squandered yeah. all of them. I think he does has. look so rusty. Yeah. Um, another striker that's been on the bench quite a lot recently is Saido Berahino. It seems like Tony Pulis wants to sell him. Uh, Jeremy Peace, the West Brom chairman, doesn't look so keen. He's kind of stuck in the middle of a tug of war, it seems. What do you think is the best thing for Berahino to do now? Well, I suppose one of the problems is that Pulis works on with him on a regular basis and maybe has seen something in him that he doesn't like and wants to wants to bring the money in to um, to strengthen his squad and Peace is obviously wanting to get the most amount of money for him so you've got the conflict of, of interest almost from, from manager and owner which is one of the issues for him but I think he does need to, to move on especially if he's not playing regularly he's, quite, he's a young talent, a young English talent and um, as we said earlier they're a bit few and far between so I think a move for him would be good Quite whether he has the quality right now to uh, a lot. A lot's been mentioned about him playing alongside Harry Kane. Maybe at Spurs. Quite whether he has that sort of quality yet. I'm not sure, but yeah, I think it's a, a move away would be best for him. Uh, we said last week that Charlie Austin would be the difference in the game against United, and he was. We've already touched on him uh, briefly, but obviously he's a great sign for Southampton. But how many teams will be kicking themselves that they didn't pay the reported four million pounds that? Is- that Southampton allegedly paid. Oh, yeah, I think a lot of teams will be upset. Um, over the summer, QPR wanted 15 million. A lot of clubs weren't budging for that field. 15 million is a bit too much. But you, you take his last season, the Prem, his debut season, 18 goals and in the struggle inside. You know, that that's quite an achievement. And you think 15 million and he scored 18 goals. Worth it, yeah. But I, I, I really don't understand why clubs didn't go in for him. And no, I mean, I th- obviously Southampton now have got a bargain. I thought the team would be perfect for is West Ham, and obviously David Gould, Gould was, um, or Sullivan, I forget which one it was, was rubbishing, or, he, he uh, made, rubbishing the claims. He and made some made some more claims about his injury record, yeah, which hasn't plagued wages. him for about five years now. And you think it's West Ham talking about injury problems, despite the injury-prone strikers that they've signed. <laughs> and you think. Austin has been far more consistent than anyone they've bought over the last two or three years up front. So, uh, for four million, I thought it was an absolute no-brainer. 
Um, Everton goalkeeper Tim Howard, according to NBC, is in serious talks with the Colorado Rapids in the MLS and is highly likely to end his tenure stay at Goodison Park um, and move there in May. Um, He's come under a lot of criticism recently um, from Everton fans. Sad to see him go because he's been a great servant for the Premier League. Yeah, Yeah, he's been wonderful. You know, his time at Everton, his brief, kind of brief spell at United, you know, he's been great keeper, great advocate for the game, promoting the promoting the Premier League and promoting football back in his homeland America. And uh yeah, I think it'd be quite a fitting end to see him retire there. Yep. Know, go back go home essentially to the MLS. So yeah. Well, obviously at the age of thirty six he last sort of kind of ran the age that keepers peak and start start to climb. Do you think it's a good time for him to to move on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he'll look at it and think, mm, you know, I, d- I really don't see him. He's Everton's number one, but you know they have that young Joel. Joel Robles. Yeah. Robles. Yeah. 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 I see him kind of pushing Howard for that number one spot. So yeah, Howard moving on, moving on now, wouldn't be a bad move. I think Everton fans would like kind of applaud him and say well done, give him a thank you. Um, according to many sources and newspapers. Um, Sunderland have already submitted a ten million pound bid for Andre Ayew at Swansea, and apparently they're going to put in another bid. Um, we kind of discussed it last week about the logic of Swansea selling John Joe Shelby to a relegation rival. Surely they won't sell one of the players that scored one of the goals against Everton to a relegation rival. Yeah, you'd think not, but if Sunderland come in, I mean, Barini did very well at Swansea. Yeah, I think the Barino's last time he was part, there, Barini's part, part, part of that deal, deal, I think, isn't he? So, yeah, it's a, it's a. I think the problem with Shelby was that they just needed to get get rid of him at that point. I'm not sure they really cared who to, which is a bit of a surprise, as, as you said. But yeah, to to uh, it's it's a really difficult one for Swansea because I completely understand why. Actually, ten million and Barini looks like a very good deal for Andre Ayew, but as you said, to sell him to a to a rival because um, I can actually give you some breaking news as well Dan oh. uh, Lorient have accepted a bid from Sunderland for uh, Lamine Kone oh, I must admit defender. yeah I must yeah. admit I don't know a huge amount about him but we spoke last week about that Sunderland actually for Sam Allardyce team were so poor at the back um, yeah they, they pulled out of a deal for him originally after they got Kirchhoff from, oh, right, okay. from, um, from Bayern yeah but yeah. I guess now they're going back in for him yeah 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 Oh, yeah. Um, Swansea, talking to Swansea, are also close to completing a loan deal again for Jonathan de Guzman, who's currently at Napoli. Obviously, knows the club very well. He's been there for two years on loan, as I mentioned, and he was quite good during that time. Do you think that'd be a good signing for Swansea, considering the situation they're in at the moment? Yeah, he, uh, as you said, he was very good in his first loan spell. Um, and they, with, with the, the sale of Shelby, they are a bit short in the middle. Um, he yeah he he's a good signing he's a good player um, and one who I think would be I think he'd be a good loaning signing and obviously what makes it look a better deal is the fact that it's not a player that they're taking a risk over it's someone that knows the club they mm. know so it looks like a good deal all round mm. and finally um, apparently Fulham will allow Musa Dembele uh, to leave for Spurs before deadline day although it is um, believed that Spurs. Uh, looking at him as just one of one possible option, uh, Dembele's uh, uh, got a lot of potential, and the fee is believed to be between four and six million, with his uh, contract running out uh, at the end of the summer. Jacks as a Fulham fan, disappointed to see him go, or do you think he he would be better off staying at Fulham? Um, I'm torn about this one. I'll, I'll obviously be disappointed to see him go. He's only 19. He has great potential. He's uh he's hit double figures for us, nine goals in the league now. Um, he he works well up front with McCormack, and it'll be difficult for us to replace him because we have our embargo. We can't really sign players. We can try loan them in, but on the other side of things, I'd say fair play to that. He's 19. He wants you know he's had a season and a half in the championship and he's done quite well, 
uh, and the opportunity to sign for Premier League club, you know, a top four club as they are right now, as a 19-year-old, you know, it's not something you want to pass pass the opportunity. You don't want the opportunity to pass. Um, yeah, if I if he leaves, I hope we can budge the fee up a bit higher. You know, he's got great potential. He's probably worth 10 million, and it's kind of it's better for us to lose him now for a large amount of fee than to lose him for nothing come summer but you know in the my ideal world he'll say no to that sign a new contract and happy days is it a bit of a worry though how many obviously i forget how many it's nine or ten goals this season isn't it yeah nine league goals, nine league goals. a couple in the cup bearing in mind that you're hovering above yeah. that that do you, do you think it's worth forgetting the four to six million that's being yeah. reported and hoping that his goals keep you up or um, I'd, I'd say losing him if we were to lose him but let's say get a clause where we loan him straight back in that'd be great but yeah if we were to lose him and he just goes off to Tottenham doesn't come back it'd be, it'd be sad it'd be horrible but it would be it wouldn't hurt us as much as if we were to lose McCormack because he's our top goal scorer mm. 18 goals in all competitions and if he goes then we'll be hurting because yeah we're not doing well in the league we're struggling we've hit a lot of goals but we haven't won matches and that's where we need to like you know we need to focus on scoring and winning yeah but if we remove both our top goal scorers then yeah I'll be like kind of worried hmm. um, and finally uh, as we've been recording this podcast uh, Ramirez has completed his 25 million pound move to Chinese side Excuse my pronunciation. <laughs> Jing Su Suning. Um, and that has just gone through. Uh, that's all the time uh, we have. Um, make sure you tune into our next podcast later on in the week where we'll be previewing this week's FA Cup action. Thank you very much to Wes and Janks, uh, Janks? Janks for your delightful <laughs> company. Um, and make sure you follow it at In Off the Bar Pod and at TBR Football on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening.